0: Good evening, or good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome back to another episode of the Apologetics.com radio show, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. My name is Jason Gallagher. I will be with you for the next hour as we dig into the scriptures and we seek to give biblical answers to questions and topics related to the defense of the scriptures. As many of you know, Apologetics is the defense of the Christian faith, where we seek to give an answer for the hope that we have within us. That's from First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. So we come on here every Friday night at midnight to speak with you guys and share with you guys some uh, truth from the Scriptures. We try to give cultural, apologetic um, answers to some of the relevant topics that we're facing as a culture, as Christians. And a lot of times we will just come on and give kind of, you know, general traditional apologetic shows where we talk about the existence of God or the reliability of the scriptures. And, uh, we did want to let you know our website, apologetics.com. You could go on there. We are a listener supported show. So we rely on the donations of our listeners and we are volunteers. I'm not paid, you know, all of the proceeds basically go to, uh, running the show, paying for airtime and doing, you know, different, different, uh, events or conferences, you know, through apologetics.com, and I encourage you guys to go there and check that out. We also have a uh, apologetic certificate program. If you haven't been to our w- website recently, we recently launched that, and it is basically 14 video, two audio lectures, where you can kind of go through it at your own pace, and you'll kind of learn about uh, basic introduction to Christian apologetics. There's um, courses on philosophy, we talk about science and faith, we talk about relativism, Um, we talk about bibliology, which is basically how we got the Bible, or how we know we can trust the Bible. We have some topics on historical Jesus, the person of Christ, the historicity of the resurrection, world religions, the problem of evil and cultural apologetics. So it's a very broad, well-rounded kind of overview of Christian apologetics, and we encourage you to go check that out. It's $249, which gives you those 14 lectures, videos, two audio lectures, and it actually gives you some one-on-one live video calls with the instructors of those classes. So you'll get kind of some one-on-one training. Um, some personal discipleship along the way. So just encourage you, want to let you know that that is available. It's another way you can kind of learn and grow in your faith while supporting our ministry. So please go ahead and check that out. This show in particular, I actually attend a church called Branch of Hope in Torrance, California, and we sponsor this week of the month. So I'm on here every second Friday night, Saturday morning of the month, and I usually have a guest with me, and tonight I have one of my good friends, and he's a regular contributor to the show. He's also written some articles that are on Apologetics.com, um, and his name is Tony Yu. How you doing, Tony? I'm doing great, Jason. How are you? And what have you been up to recently?
1: Based on the sunburn on the top of my head, it'll be <laughs> a lot of evangelism at the
0: pier. Yeah, Tony uh, has been out there sharing the gospel. He's got a YouTube channel. Why don't you—you you want to plug your YouTube channel? It's my name. It's Tony U, spelled Y-U, and
1: add the word evangelism to the search, and you'll find me.
0: Yeah, Tony's just got lots of, um, you know, his interactions with all sorts of people, all sorts of places, just kind of sharing the gospel with them. Uh, highly encouraging and edifying and educational at the same time, if you want to learn how to— Better uh, share your faith with those around you. I encourage you to check that out. Um, as usual, we are a listener call-in show. You know, Tony and I love to talk about these things. We, you know, we talk about them all the time. You know, offline, uh, we talk about them here online. But we want to talk with you as well. We want to hear from you, engage with you, interact with you. What uh, you're learning, or maybe questions that you have, whether you're a believer. You have questions about the scriptures or even if you're an unbeliever listening, you're just cruising along listening to KKLA, you know, in Los Angeles, one of the biggest radio stations out there. You find yourself, you know, coming across this program, and we are here to basically answer your questions about the Christian faith, about God, about the Bible, you know, all of it, all of the above. So uh, we encourage you give us a call. The number's pretty easy. It's triple eight ninety-nine five KKLA. It's triple eight nine nine five 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 two. And so tonight's topic, Tony and I are going to be digging into uh, the topic of science and uh, faith. But in particular, you know Romans one eight through eighteen through twenty three. I'll kind of be reading that in a minute. But Tony and I are both engineers by trade, right, by vocation. Um, I got my master's from Stanford University in uh, aeronautics and astronautics. You know, I studied mechanical engineering, aeronautical engineering. So we love science. We love physics. We kind of love everything, you know, that has to do with that. And we love the Lord. You know, we love the scriptures. We love the Bible. And and um, a lot of people think that there is some sort of a, you know, there's a tension there between science and faith Um, but we're going to kind of unpack that we're going to talk about what is science you know what is is the goal of science what is when we talk about science you know I think a lot of people hold science in this like kind of you know other category that's like this untouchable category like science is this end all be all of all knowledge and truth and you know information and so we're going to unpack that a little bit and kind of ground science appropriately. We're going to talk a little bit about what are the necessary preconditions for science to even take place, right? And which, which kind of worldview can give an account for the things that science assumes, you know, uh, in order to function. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the limitations of science. You know, what can science do and what can science not do? And then uh, we want to talk about how we can see really, and learn about God through science, basically through um, understanding what has been made. So with that, um, I'm going to go ahead and read Romans 1, verses 18 through 23. So hear now the word of the living God. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles, Uh, thus far the reading of God's word. So, as I mentioned, I'm an engineer by vocation. I I like to use my mind to think deeply about things, and as an engineer— I also like simplicity and I like practicality and application, right? So I try to bring those things together in my approach to apologetics. And tonight, as we discuss the topic of science from this theological and apologetic perspective, is to give you a biblical framework uh, with which to think about science as a Christian um, and even as a non-Christian. You know, this isn't you know there isn't a Christian way of thinking really in a in a non-Christian way of thinking, there's really one right way of thinking about everything. And, and that's how we want to, you know, think about science. Um, and, you know, as we study science, you know, we want to know what it is and what it can tell us not only about the world around us, because as we learn about the world around us, it, it leads to great uh, blessing and different technologies, but more importantly, what can we learn about the one who created the world around us? And so we'll kind of dig into that um, as we as we move through this. And so, as I mentioned, mentioned we'll touch on four things, you know, defining science, um, defining kind of the necessary preconditions for science, the limitations of science, and then, you know, science and the attributes of God. As Romans 1 said, as I just read, it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Right? So Scripture is telling us right there— that God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, meaning everyone has seen these things. And and it says that they're understood through the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So simply by living in God's world, Scripture is telling us we could learn things about him, his invisible attributes, right? And what is science? You know, it's when I think about science in kind of simple terms, it's the process, right? It's this process by which we seek to understand the things that are made, right? The physical world around us. Um, and so how does how does Christian belief relate to science, right? Like I said earlier, <clears throat> you know, Tony might come across this on the streets um, in his evangelism, but there seems to be a perception in culture today— that science and faith are at odds with one another, right? That they can't or they shouldn't coexist, right? Like, if you're a Christian and a scientist, like, there's something, like, contradictory about them, right? There's this idea that the two are, much, like, exclusive areas of thought and practice. Um, and that kind of antagonism or that misunderstanding seems to be more widespread today than it has been in the past, but um, I would argue that it's not because it's true, but it's because our understanding of what science is has been distorted over time, right? And so I want us as Christians to understand science in such a way that we can simply and effectively use it as a platform to point people to Christ, um, the one you know by whom and through whom all things have been made, so... You know, the first starting point is what is science? Tony, do you want to, uh, you know, when you think of science, you know, what is, what is it? What is science?
1: Science just means knowledge. But in the way we use the word science, we mean specifically knowledge about the way our physical universe operates. Yeah. It does not deal with knowledge of God, knowledge of morality. Uh, there are certainly limits to what we can study with science.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely science does not speak authoritatively on all areas of um inquiry. Right? Um you know, Webster's dictionary says science is knowledge attained through study or practice. Um it also says knowledge covering general truths of the operation of general laws. And here is like <clears throat> here's one of the things that I found really interesting. It says it says, knowledge covering general truths of general laws, especially as obtained and tested through scientific method and concerned with the physical world. As Tony was saying, it's not concerned with morality, right? It's not concerned with these other immaterial immaterial things. So right off the bat, you know, we see science used in multiple contexts. One is science as knowledge. Exactly what Tony said. Science means knowledge, Right. The Latin word, scientia, just means uh, knowledge. Um, the, the other is the scientific method, right? This is the image we have of a man or a woman in a lab coat, right? They're running experiments in a lab. They're making predictions, collecting data, analyzing the data. They're looking for patterns, and they're developing models, uh, usually mathematical models, to describe what, what, they, what they observe, right? And then the, the goal is that these models will actually help them to make future predictions, Right. About about the world. Um, And so these are the senses that we'll be talking about today. Science as knowledge and science as a methodology to obtain knowledge. Right. So um, we'll briefly touch on this. But just so you all are aware, there's an entire discussion that can be had at this point. Um, We'll touch on it briefly revolving in, around the necessary preconditions for science some people might refer to these as the preconditions for intelligibility right so and these are the things that are foundational to make science even possible right and a lot of people might not might not take this step back and look at science from this perspective but it's it's very important and so what is what is foundational to make science possible right the idea here is that there are certain things, when a, when a scientist walks into a lab to run their experiments, that they are actually assuming certain things about reality that make science possible, right? Science isn't just this, this thing out there that just exists and doesn't actually stand on top of something. Science is actually standing on a foundation other than itself, right? Right? And they're what philosophers call necessary preconditions. It's something that must come before or logically prior to something else, right? Um, It's kind of like a prerequisite. And um, a simple example of this is gasoline is a necessary precondition for driving uh, a gas engine, right? You must have gasoline. It's a necessary requirement to run a gas engine. Um, The existence of words right and the meaningfulness of words are necessary preconditions for for us to be communicating right now right if you know can you imagine if someone were to say hey i don't believe that words have any meaning and all the while they're actually using words to convey that meaningful statement to you right so if you don't think about what is necessary to do something, sometimes you could wind up undercutting that very thing you're trying to do, okay? And in a similar manner, a naturalist, right? And a naturalist is someone basically who denies any supernatural cause for the universe, right? They definitely deny the triune God of Scripture. Um, But a naturalist, you know, and this is the important part, is engaging in the same sort of self-refuting activity when they use science, right? They use it, and at the same time, they try to argue that God does not exist.
1: Let me give you an example. There you go. Richard Dawkins, the most famous atheist on earth, he made the statement, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. So he made the declaration that there is no such thing as good or evil. Mm. And then one year later, he goes on to say, I think the case can be made that faith is one of the world's great evils. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Hmm? Okay. Yeah. So if there's no such thing as good or evil, you can't say that religion is
0: evil. Right.
1: You see why God says, yeah,
0: he's, he's, Talking out of both sides of his mouth.
1: Right. He doesn't realize yeah. he's falling into his own trap. Right. In order for you to say anything is good or evil, you're acknowledging the existence of God.
0: Right. Yes, absolutely. And you're acknowledging the the existence of those particular things as well. Um, so yeah, so that's a, you know, it, it's kind of a showing this a naturalist how they become self-refuting when they try to deny certain realities about the world in which we live right those realities are going to keep popping up they're going to keep it's like the whack-a-mole game right these realities about the world we live in are going to keep popping them up regardless of how hard these you know non-believers are trying to whack these things down let's say the existence of god or whatever it might be they're constantly trying to deny that um But it it, comes—it'll pop up in any number of ways, right? And they're trying to push it down and push it down. You need God to deny the existence of God. Right. Because he makes everything possible. And so that kind of—yeah, and so that ties in perfect to what is necessary even for science, right? And so two basic things that are necessary for science, right? One of them is called induction, right? And induction is simply— All that all that is is the idea that the future will be like the past that tomorrow will be like today right everything you know when we wake up tomorrow morning and we go to set our feet down on the floor we're not concerned that you know gravity is going to be you know flipped upside down and you know we're going to float off into space or something like that we know intuitively that tomorrow is going to be like today And in order to do science and make predictions about the future, you must assume that to be true. You must assume that the future will be like the past, right? If you run a thousand experiments and get the same result, induction tells us that the thousand and first experiment will get the same result as the other ones, right? Every time we squeeze a tube of toothpaste, we expect something to come out the end. We're assuming induction is true. We are assuming the laws held yesterday are just today the same, right? Um, we don 't think the law of physics are going to you know change midway through our airplane flight. You know no one would get in an airplane if they thought that, and so the question is well, who can account for this law of induction, this future being like the past so if we go to scripture if you i 'll point to genesis eight twenty two which tells us God said, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Right? So right there up in the beginning, Genesis 8, God tells us he will continue to uphold the universe in a uniform and consistent manner. We'll have summers, we'll have winters, we'll have seasons, the sun's going to rise, the sun's going to set, which is why we can know that the future will be like the past when we step into a lab to do science, right? A Christian can do that logically rationally, consistently, right? Hebrews one three tells us that he is the radiance of the glory of God and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So this adds even more weight. God is upholding the very universe by his word, right? And we know God is unchanging, right? So we could expect that he's going to uphold things in a consistent and unchanging manner. So as Christians, we have every reason to believe that these laws which govern the universe are going to operate in an unchanging manner. Feel free to add in anything, Tony, if you want. Yeah, I mean, Uh,
1: when you think about the nucleus of an atom has protons and neutrons. Yeah, Protons are positively charged, Mm -hmm. and they're extremely close together. So when you have two positively charged particles close together, they repel each other. But we have no idea why... They don't repel each other and they stay together as one unit in a, in in a, a nucleus of an yeah. atom. So scientists make up something called uh, the strong nuclear force mm-hmm. to explain something they have no idea. Yeah. Strong nuclear force is just another way of saying, I have no idea. Yeah. But we know that it is Christ who holds everything together by his power. Yeah. So, Amen.
0: Yeah. It tells us, yeah, right in his word.
1: They're just making stuff up.
0: Yeah. That's what that's their only option, really. yep, you know,
1: Give it a fancy name, strong nuclear force,
0: right, but it's Jesus. right, yeah, so. it's Christ. <laughs> it's because God is speaking. so induction is one thing that science has to depend on in order to in order to be valid and um, in order to do science. The other thing, just one more thing I'll mention, that makes science possible is what we call just the reliability of our senses and our reasoning right because we have to observe what's happening in a test tube in a laboratory we have to see it with our eyes maybe we have to listen to it we have to observe it in some manner right well the bible tells us in proverbs 20 that the hearing ear and the seeing eye the lord has made them both we also learn from scripture that god expects us to draw correct conclusions about the physical world right in luke 7:22 Jesus says go Jesus said, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the poor have good news preached to them. In John three eleven, Jesus says, Truly, truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. So God assumes right these scriptures when he says, Go tell what you've seen, go tell what you've heard God is assuming that we're able to trust our senses, that what we see with our eyes and what we hear with our ears, we're able to take it to the bank and we're able to go testify of what we've seen to others, right? So our senses that God has endowed us with, which we you know, should rightly be praising him and thanking him for, he expects us to bear a truthfulness when we witness about those things which we've seen and heard, Right? Back to Romans 1, when we you know, understand those things that have been made, God expects us to testify truthfully. So as a Christian, right, in a Christian worldview, we have a good reason to believe in the reliability of our senses, our reasoning, and to trust that the future will be like the past, to use science as a tool to make predictions about the future. Now, from an evolutionary worldview, right— whose basic mantra is change over time right that's the whole mantra of evolution mm-hmm. right change over time what should we expect to happen in the future more change well right? if we follow science it should be decay it should be decay we right?
1: should devolve not evolve
0: right yeah we shouldn't get more complex and more you know information and more you know um organized we should be going into more and more chaos but the whole the whole very nature of evolution is change over time right descent with modification right um, but you the whole thing of science is like what we just talked about unchanging tomorrow's gonna be like the past right we could expect tomorrow to be just like it was today not to change drastically you know that gravity's not gonna all of a sudden change and so a more consistent position for an evolutionist To take would be to assume that like everything else, the laws which govern the universe will one day change and descend with modification, right? An assumption that would make science as we know it impossible. Think about the way we
1: used to do recordings before digital um, technology. Mm -hmm. Let's say you record from one tape to another, to another, to another the quality of that recording is always going to go down. Yeah. You're know, Introducing random error every time you make that copy. Right. So as humans or any other living creature continues to reproduce, the offspring should become less and less viable. Mm-hmm.
0: We should cease to exist. Right. Yeah, it goes in the complete opposite direction that we, you know, we typically need for, um, you know, to make just life and science possible. Are we coming up on a break? Yeah? All right. Well, Cole, our engineer, is letting us know that we are near the begin, end of our first segment here. So uh, we will be right back after these short messages. Stay tuned. The mission
1: of apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift, so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to apologetics.com and click donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting apologetics.com.
0: This is John MacArthur welcoming you to Portraits of Grace. Affection for Jesus Christ is the most identifiable characteristic of true Christians. That's because believing in Him and loving Him are inseparable. Jesus said, The Father Himself loves you because you have loved Me and have believed. To His antagonists, Jesus declared, If God were your Father, you would love Me. Anyone who truly loves God will love Christ, and that love will be reflected in their obedience to His commandments. Many people are confused about what it means to be a Christian, but you have the privilege of clarifying the issue by loving Christ, loving Him deeply, and demonstrating your love by obeying His Word. May God bless you richly as you pursue that goal today. This is John MacArthur, hoping you'll join me again for Portraits of Grace. When you awaken in the morning, what is the first decision you must make? Hi, I'm Chuck Swindoll. No, it's not whether to get up or what you're going to have for breakfast. It's what kind of attitude would you choose to face that day with. And I'm convinced our best attitudes emerge out of a clear understanding of our own identity and a deep sense of God's purpose for our lives. That sort of God-honoring attitude encourages us to press on, to focus on the goal, to respond in remarkable ways to life's most extreme tests and circumstances so here's a good plan tomorrow morning plan early on a good attitude pastor and teacher chuck swindoll visit insight for living's website at insight.org all right let's get back to the apologetics.com radio show Radio show. My name is Jason Gallagher, and I'm joined in studio tonight with my good friend Tony Yu. And we are talking about God's attributes as seen through understanding what has been made. We're basically talking about the aspect and the practice of science and how it clearly points to uh, the Christian God of the scriptures. We've talked kind of in this first half of the show about what is science right it's knowledge it's this thing that we do in the lab it's this methodology that we we put to practice to to learn about the world around us and then we kind of talked about what what is necessary for science to to actually happen right we talked about the laws of induction this idea that the future will be like the past right that's the only way to make predictions if we think you know tomorrow everything's going to change science would be impossible and we also need to come to the scientific laboratory With the idea that our senses, our smell, our taste, our touch, our sight, the things that we use to observe are actually trustworthy, reliable, and give us accurate information. Those things we showed from Scripture, you know, God gives us good reason. You know, he tells us he's upholding the universe by the power of his word, that he's going to keep sun, moon, stars, seasons, hot and cold, winter, summer. He's going to keep that going on as long as the earth is here. So we can we can go to the bank knowing that when we do stuff in a lab and make predictions, we could we can kind of trust those things. Um, alternatively, you know, kind of what we're what we're speaking, you know, we're we're speaking to the unbelieving world. At the same time, we want to convince them, you know, of the truthfulness of Christianity, right? The the consistency, the logical consistency of you know being a Christian, believing the scriptures. And you'll, and what we saw was from a naturalistic worldview, atheistic, naturalistic, evolutionary kind of paradigm, it's change over time. That's their mantra. And so the idea that the future will be like the past, which is essential for science, is undermined by their very mantra of how things came to be, right? Just change over time, over time, over time, you know? That's all that happens, and that's all we have to look forward to. Everything's changing, and it's going to continue to change. Well, that makes science impossible, you know. And why would you know? We really have no basis to trust our senses and reasoning from an evolutionary perspective. So that's kind of where we've been. Um, we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to talk about some of the limitations of science. What is science actually discovering? you know when a scientist comes out of a lab is he carrying some something in a briefcase something that has weight to it that um they now put you know on a shelf somewhere and say hey this is the law of gravity we discovered it it's true science did it you know or what what are they actually discovering you know they're actually discovering things that are completely immaterial you can't smell them touch them or taste them there are these immaterial realities about the world we live in it speaks to a supernatural reality all around us. And so we're going to dig into that a bit. And if you want to join the conversation, feel free. Uh, we'd love to chat with you. We have lines open triple eight ninety nine five KKLA. It's 888-995-5552. So if you're just cruising along, if you're at home, uh give us a call. You know, any question you might have about the Bible or science or what we're talking about, we'd love to we'd love to hear from you. Um so let's move on. So Let's kind of, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on, which I think is really important, is um, what are the limitations of science, right? We have what I call operational science, which is the stuff that we do in a laboratory, puts um, rockets, you know, into space, puts men on the moon, um, creates robots that could do surgery on you, you know, creates all sorts of amazing technology, creates iPhones, creates the Internet, creates MRI machines, x-ray machines medicines, so on and so forth, right? That's all stuff that's done in a lab today. And then there's this other area of historical science, and this is where a lot of the kind of disagreements come in with science and and faith, right? It's not, you know, the law of gravity, there's no, you know, people don't think Christians don't believe in the law of gravity. It usually comes down to like, Christians don't believe that we evolved from apes, you know, over billions and billions of years, and, you know, that we came a fish A fish turned into a philosopher and, you know, these kind of, you know, the fish walking out of the ocean onto dry land type thing. Um, That is, you know, science fiction, we believe. And I want to kind of talk about, you know, how science doesn't actually apply in the same way when we look at things historically, right? If we were trying to understand how George Washington died, we wouldn't go ask a scientist, You know, they're not going to be able to go investigate and do something in a lab that tells us how George Washington died. We're going to read a history book, right? We're going to look to eyewitness accounts from that time period to tell us what happened, right? That's usually how we figure things out that happened in the past, right? Um, And so I kind of want to make sure that we understand um, the distinction, right? When we're talking about the origin of life, you know, how the universe came to be. Those are all things that are in a different category. Um, and it's important that we understand that distinction. And so, go ahead, Tony.
1: There's another category that we need to actually d- dive into. There's the issue of creation being a past event that requires a an eyewitness. But there's another huge problem for the naturalist, Um in the very first verse of the Bible it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Uh-huh. The word create in the Hebrew is bara. Mm-hmm. And God could have used one of two Hebrew words either bara or asah. Okay. The difference between bara and asah is bara is God creating from nothing whereas asa is God creating from other things re- reorganizing them into something new. Mm. But when God created the heavens and the earth he created them from nothing. Mm. So the, uh, the Latin phrase is ex nihilo, out ex of nihilo. nothing. Yeah, yeah. Right? So that process is inherently supernatural, mm-hmm. not scientific. Mm-hmm. You cannot apply science to try to understand something that is above science, outside of science.
0: Yeah.
1: So mm. right there is a massive limitation for science, trying to apply science to a process that has nothing to do with science.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, that and that kinda leads exactly uh to where where we want to go with the conversation. Right. When you try to understand uh past events from a scientific scientific perspective, you're not performing science in the traditional sense anymore. Right? You can't do observation and repetition on a past event. Right? We can't repeat the past events that cause life to form, right? We can't put those sorts of um questions in the same category of science, right, that we're used to thinking in, like creation, like Tony was saying.
1: Because there is no Scientific process that caused life t- to come about. Right. That transcends science. It's ex
0: nihilo, right. Yeah. Yeah. It came from, it didn't come from prior existing physical matter. According is, to the
1: laws of science, you require pre-existing life to have right. new life.
0: And si- yeah. And science operates on what exists, you know, today, here and now. Um, and so certainly, certainly we could apply physical principles and kind of in the past, right? To help us understand things, um, in the past, like, you know, we drove here, you know, earlier tonight on a freeway driving a certain speed and it took us a certain amount of time, right? You can kind of say, Oh, if we drove, if we drove here at 60 miles an hour, it's going to take us an hour to get here. You know, that sort of stuff, you know, you could do equations, but consider this analogy real quick. I've, you know, thought this was a helpful analogy, but, um, so, and it has to do with a bathtub, right? Suppose you saw a bathtub and it had 50 gallons of water in it and it's almost full. It's about to overflow, right? You look at the faucet and it's just dripping. One, one drip every few seconds, you know, drip, drip. And it's almost going to overflow. And you ask yourself, how long has it taken for that bathtub to fill up with water to its current state? And based on what you see, what you know, using just basic science equations, you could simply take the volume of water, divide it by the, the rate that the water's coming in, and you could say, well, that's been dripping for 44 days. You know, it's been a month and a half, you know, that thing's been dripping, and it's about to overflow, so we better turn it off, right? Basic math, right? So you're like, okay, great, you know, science helped me, you know, figure out the answer to that problem that question however suppose you see a note next to the bathtub after you ran your calculations right and the note says hey you know i ran the faucet at full blast for five minutes until it was 48 gallons full and then i turned it down to a drip sincerely you know tony right so now when you calculate instead of 44 days to fill the bath you calculate it's only taken two days to fill the bath Same equations, same science, but you had an eyewitness account that told you some important information about stuff you weren't there to observe firsthand, right? That the rate of water coming in was really high for five minutes, and then it got turned down to a drip. You would have never known that, right, had you not had that note. So the science, same science still applies, but our assumptions about what happened in the past completely changes our answer, right? You needed an eyewitness. You needed an eyewitness, absolutely.
1: And it gets worse. Because instead of somebody turning on the faucet at full blast, imagine God walked up and, bam, made 48 gallons appear from nothing. Yeah, right. And you would think that at the fastest rate that this faucet can go, it would take at least— this much time right right so where i'm going is when god creates things he creates things with an appearance of age yeah and if you assume natural processes to determine the age of something you'd be way off right (laughs) and that's how he created the universe right he created adam as an adult and if you walked up to adam three minutes after he was created and tried to figure out how how old he was you would be decades off.
0: You wouldn't say three minutes. Right. You would yeah. say maybe
1: 25 or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So you must have, for historical things, you must have some historical information to actually make sure that your conclusions are accurate.
1: <clears throat> so it is absolutely foolish to try to use science to try to figure out how God did things. Right.
0: Yeah. We yeah. could learn about how he's ordaining things here and now today right. but exactly how he did stuff in the past we don't know we won't be able to figure that out using the scientific method and the fact that god does miracles is a
1: way of saying that god can transcend science right or okay. he has extremely advanced science
0: either way mm. either way yeah and so i think what you know the last part of the show next <clears throat> 20 15 minutes whatever, I think this is the interesting part, right? We've kind of focused on science as knowledge, knowledge that is concerned with the physical world, the way it works. And so <clears throat> one question I asked myself is, what exactly is science in the business of discovering? Right? You know, we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier. When you do, you know, your your lab work and stuff, um, what was it that Isaac Newton discovered when the apple fell out of a tree and hit him on the head? You know, the apple is going down. It's not going sideways. It's not going upward. It's going directly downward, right? And so he eventually discovered the laws of motion, right? And many other discoveries. But did he sc- did he discover something physical in its essence? You know? No. Um, and when we talk to people, you know, which Tony talks to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people on the streets. And a lot of times they cling to science and they they like they think God is well. They can't believe in God. They can't see God and like stuff like that. And they say stuff like they believe science because it's something that they can see, touch, taste, and smell. Right? It's like they it's physical, but it's not physical. Right? Um, they believe that science has nothing to do with immaterial or spiritual truth. Right and they believe it avoids the whole concept of god so they cling to it like a life preserver right like this is their this is their get out of jail free card right but that's not true right let's look for a second at um what the sciences have discovered over the past few centuries right um just kind of think with me tony like um you know when we were in when we were in uh college you know studying engineering We'd go to a math test. We'd go to a calculus test. We'd go to a physics or science test or engineering test. And sometimes they'd give us like cheat sheets, right? Say, hey, you could bring it one one page of notes. What would we put on those cheat sheets usually? Equations. Equations. Name some equations. Quadratic
1: <laughs> equation. Pythagoras theorem. Yeah. Um, math,
0: geometry.
1: Bernoulli's equation.
0: Bernoulli's for aerodynamics, for fluids. Right. F equals m a gravitational all constant gravitation all the kinematic yeah. equations for the you know trajectory of things flying through space orbital mechanics which governs the planetary motion they're all just a bunch of symbols and letters mathematical equations that you put on a piece of paper that is the totality of what science has given us they've given us equations lots and lots of equations and they're all representing immaterial realities about the world around us there's this invisible kind of framework this matrix this uh think of it as like a a fabric this invisible fabric of you know reality and it boils down to these equations these mathematical equations um, and if you didn't apply the equations correctly then you'd get the wrong answer but you know, so everything that we're doing right now, the stuff that they cling to, this science stuff, whether it's, you know, our voices, you know, it's all governed by the laws of acoustics. You know, the the things we see with our eyes is governed by the science of optics, right? Everything we touch, you know, we have this equal and opposite reaction. We feel these things. It's like the laws of motion, right? Even our smell, <laughs> You know, when you smell things, those are chemical reactions. That's chemistry happening in our nostrils, right? So all of this quote-unquote physical world that we can touch and smell, even that boils down to immaterial realities and equations and scientific truths that we've discovered about our world.
1: Governed by invisible laws.
0: Governed by invisible laws. So when someone says I I love science, I believe in science, say great. You know, what is science in the business of discovering invisible, immaterial laws that govern everything physical.
1: And in human relationships, that's governed by invisible laws. Yeah. You shall not murder. There is not a human being on earth that honestly disagrees with that. And no human being right. on earth can change it just like you can't change the law of gravity. So
0: I like where you're going with that. So let's let's go down that road because I think the important thing here is not that we get someone to, you know, agree that science is actually discovering spiritual immaterial truths about reality. That's important because it does tell us something about God. But all that does in Romans 1 says is it leaves people without an excuse. Right? Um this idea of general revelation, which is the world around us that God has given us. General revelation does tell us things, true things about God, but it doesn't tell us what we need to know in order to be reconciled to God and made right with God. And so one way I love to bridge this kind of gap here. um, And Tony, Tony might have a, a way that he likes to do this too, but one, one way I see A clear connection here is these physical laws are powerful, right? Mm -hmm. And we respect them, right? Think about jumping out of an airplane, right? Um, If you jump out of an airplane without a parachute, the law of gravity is going to carry out its nature upon you, and that's going to have devastating consequences for you. If you jump out of a plane without a parachute gravity is just going to pull you down to this earth as fast as it can, right? So we put on a parachute, which protects us from the law of gravity's consequences for violating it, right? Electricity. We don't go around high voltage stuff. If you do, if you work around that, you're going to wear the right protective equipment to shield you from the devastating consequences of the power of these laws, right? These electrical laws. We wear seatbelts because we respect physics. If you're traveling fast and you come to a stop really quick, you can get really thrown around and harmed because that's just the laws of motion. So we, we wear things to protect ourselves from these laws.
1: Let's go to the spiritual side. Yep. You shall not commit adultery. Is there a consequence to committing adultery? Yes.
0: Absolutely. There yeah. are
1: certainly consequences. And on a societal level, it leads to all kinds of breakdown. Yeah. Right? Adultery can lead to murder. Can it not? One form of murder that is a result of adultery is abortion.
0: There, Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah.
1: Another form of murder is jealousy.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? So hatred. Just we hatred. We may not now. always
1: see the effect in a very, very short time frame. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it from a society standpoint, our nation has devolved from a more God-fearing nation into a cesspool Mm -hmm. because of the sexual revolution that happened in the 60s and 70s. Right. And in God's time frame, that's a fraction of a second. Right. So there are definite consequences to spiritual laws.
0: Right. Yeah. And I would argue that just as we respect these physical laws, we respect gravity enough to wear a parachute and not jump out of planes, you know, and not jump off the edges of buildings, right? We respect gravity. Um, God has a moral law, which Tony is, you know, talking about, and the consequences for violating that moral law, according to God's word, is an eternity of judgment and God's justice, right? God says that all liars, you know, will have their part in the lake of fire, just like gravity is going to turn you into a pancake. It's not because gravity's mad at you, you know, if you jump out of a plane. But gravity will turn you into a human pancake. Um, and violating God's moral law, like lying, has the consequence of an eternity in, you know, hell. And that's just—it's not that the law's mad at you. It's just when you violate, you know, a law as powerful as, you know— God's character, the consequences are devastating for us, right? And that's our, that's like the whole reason we're doing any of this, this whole apologetics.com, whole radio show, talking to people on the streets, is because we don't want to see people perish because they've transgressed God's law without the proper, you know, protection, right? And, you know, what is the way, Tony, to, you know, we've all broken God's law. I've done it, you know, countless times. Um, just like you jump out of a plane with a parachute, you want to you, you, you protect yourself from the consequences of breaking that law. If If people have broken that law, you know, if they've lied, if they've stolen, if they've looked with lust, committed adultery, if they've sinned against God, which all of us have, if we're honest— how can they be shielded from the consequences of that? Right. Just like with physical laws, there is always a
1: consequence to breaking spiritual laws. And the price has to be paid by someone. Mm -hmm. It's either going to be you or it's going to be Jesus. But God loved us so much that he came into the world as a man, fully God, fully human. He lived a life that was perfect, the life that we should have lived, but We couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice in our place so he can die in our place. God is a just God. He's a perfect and holy God. He cannot allow sin to go unpunished. Mm -hmm. So Jesus offered himself as the perfect sacrifice on our behalf because he loves us. Mm -hmm. Upholding God's justice, Jesus was punished in our place. But Jesus' punishment does not apply to us until we, we respond to what Jesus did through faith. Mm-hmm. Jesus said in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that he gave Jesus, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Mm-hmm. Jesus was our sacrifice. And if we respond to what Jesus did by faith, turning away from sin, putting our faith in Jesus, submitting to Jesus as Lord, then his death counts as our death, as our suffering, as our punishment. Mm-hmm. And it's more than that. We don't just get off the hook. When God saves us, he changes us. He gives us a new nature. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is a Christ follower, Christ believer, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. So not only are you forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future, God has given you and giving you a new nature. Amen. That he's working out holiness in you, personal holiness. So I like to tell people on the street, there are two things you need to be aware of to know if you're actually saved in the past. One is you continue to believe the gospel, that mm. Jesus died on the cross for you and rose on the third day. Two, that you continue in holiness. You're growing in holiness You're becoming more and more obedient to Jesus over time and not going the opposite way. Mm. It's not about where you are currently. It's about where you're headed over time. We're going to fall. We're going to make mistakes. We're still human on this side of eternity. But if Christ is in us, we will change, and we will change for the better.
0: Yeah, we will continue to grow and grow into his likeness. And so, you know... There's a little bit more we can cover. Um, thank you for that, Tony. That's kind of the main heart, you know. So what we've what we've tried to do tonight is to show, you know, from a scientific perspective, that science is in the business of discovering these immaterial laws about the world. These laws reflect God's character. They reflect His nature. They reflect His power. They reflect His glory. And they also show us that there are consequences for breaking these laws, right, which which draws that parallel to the moral law. And all of us have fallen short of that moral law in thought, word, or deed, right? And so if we stand before God and he gives us what we deserve, it will be eternity under his judgment in hell. And we don't want that for anyone. We love people and we just want to say, You know, look at this, look at the logic in it, look at the consistency in it, look at what science really tells us about the world we live in, that it's immaterial, that there's a spiritual reality all around us that we can't see, but we're beholden to it. It's it's acting on us every moment of every day, and so are those other laws that God has given us to govern our, our behavior and the things that we do with our body, the things we do with our words. And... God has given his son, God has God has had his perfect son, you know, to come and to, to be that shield for us, to be that parachute, that when we take our last breath and we step into eternity, that we have that parachute of Christ. You know, the Bible says today is the day of salvation, right? So put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make sure that you know him and make sure that you're growing in him, that you're reading his word, that you're in a good church. And if you've, If you've made that maybe commitment for the first time in your life, maybe you're thinking about these things, email us, jason at apologetics.com. We'd love to hear from you. And um, with that, we just want to thank Cole for being the sound engineer tonight. We thank Tony for being here. Thank you, sir. And we thank you for listening. And we we pray that you will be blessed in every way and that you will uh, tune in again next Friday. And until then, keep the faith.